0: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, December the 15th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today in 2013, Nelson Mandela was laid to rest in his childhood hometown. It had a period of mourning. He was South Africa's first black president. Today in 1791, the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution went into effect following ratification by Virginia. Today in 1890, Sioux Indian Chief Sitting Bull, 11 other tribe members, were killed in Grand River, South Dakota. There was a confrontation between Sitting Bull and his tribe members and the Indian police. Today in 1978, President Jimmy Carter announced that he would grant diplomatic recognition to Communist China on New Year's Day. And sever official relations with Taiwan. That is so... Democrat, that is so so-called progressive, and it's it was so wrong. Today in 1989, popular uprising began in Romania that resulted in the downfall of dictator Nicolae Ceausescu. I was in Romania working with Christian pastors and Christians shortly after that time. It was a very difficult time in Romania, but they had been through hell with this dictator he had broken the back of the country financially culturally in many many respects he had abused every human right possible under his dictatorship he was building it was nearing completion not quite completed a home for his family the country was paying for it it had a thousand rooms the driveway was two miles long I've been there It shows you what unchecked human power or power given to humans can do. That's what dictators do. That's what progressivism leads to eventually. Today in 2009, evangelist Oral Roberts died in Newport Beach, California. He was 91 years old. Today in 2012, a day after the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. We all remember that. Well, the day after, today in 2012, President Barack Obama declared that every parent in America has a heart heavy with hurt. We did. He was right. Then he went on to say, it's time to, quote, take meaningful action to prevent more tragedies like this. The meaningful action he was talking about, of course, was moving down the path toward gun confiscation. Portland's Democrat Mayor Ted Wheeler, also a far-left progressive so-called, recently re- he was recently re-elected in a runoff election. He promised to restore order and pledged, quote, there will be no autonomous zone in Portland, Two days later, an autonomous zone was established with layers of barricades forbidding police to even enter the zone. Yesterday, the Seattle Times wrote an extensive article, published it an extensive article asking how Mayor Jenny Durkin will be remembered now that she's announced she will not run for a second term. I think that was probably a smart decision on her part. Seattle's autonomous zone, a.k.a. Chaz, the one that Portland would never have except 48 hours later it did have that comes to mind when you think of the legacy of mayor Jenny Durkin it's an event that Durkin said earlier this year told the press she said it's just like a summer of love she didn't take it seriously eventually she did because she saw her she saw her political fortunes being ruined by the people she claimed to support. They have a right. They're protesting under the Constitution. You can do this stuff. It's just a summer of love. There is one fundamental reason why the American Revolution succeeded and the French Revolution failed. And it comes to bear on exactly what we're seeing happen in our culture today. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Yesterday, the Electoral College voted. All 50 states, the District of Columbia, they got their vote as well. They made Democrat former Vice President Joe Biden, formally now the president-elect of the United States. He's been running around calling himself that for a long time. And the press, of course, almost bowing when he enters, have been doing the same. But Biden was given 302 electoral votes to President Donald Trump's 232 electoral votes. There was one one area in or one uh, election, I think it was in Michigan, where a um, the the Republican Party that is in power in the state. I mean, they have the majority, but they have a that far left Democrat uh, governor, and um, the the Republicans created their own slate of electors. They they created new ones and they went to vote and they were at the state legislature and they were, um, there was a Republican representative, state representative with them and they went to the, to the state house where the electoral vote in that state was, was cast and they were blocked. The police wouldn't let them in. The police blocked, including the state representative, the state legislator. And this woman, I forget her name now, but she said, in all my life of public service here in the state or anywhere else, I've never heard of a state legislature being blocked from entering the state house in the state where she serves, being blocked by the police, no less. That was kind of the tone of the thing. I'm going to be talking more about this in the coming days because there's something to be learned here. And I think you will not get even a scintilla of of truth from the press about the enormous amount of uh, inconsistencies in our um, in this in the v- whole voting process this time. Yes, it comes to bear on President Trump, but it also comes to bear on the future of America. And what uh, I mean Are we going to even be motivated as Christians and conservatives? I hope so. And we'll be certainly be talking about that, but are we going to even be motivated to go if, if this continues, if these machines stay in place across the nation that are set up to, to default to error so that they can be fixed in private and add votes to whomever the people managing the machines want to get more votes. And that's, Essentially what happened in this election. It did. I wouldn't say that on the radio. I would not. I've been around a lot of you listening to this program know me personally. Space. I mean in especially in Washington State and Central and Eastern. I grew up there. Have relatives listening. My mom and dad are in heaven. I don't think they're listening, but if they if they were here they would be listening. In their home in Yakima. I would not say this on the radio if I didn't believe it. And I've done a lot of research. This thing is, our system has been compromised to the core. And it's been compromised. It's in the hands of people who do not agree with conservative values, Judeo-Christian principles. And I believe this. I do. I mean, setting Trump aside for the moment, I mean, you can't because he's the elephant in the room, so to speak. But putting that aside, looking forward at the next election and the next and the next, what's going to happen to our country? Where's it going to go? I'm going to be talking more about that in a moment, and we'll be talking about specifics on this in the days to come. There were no faithless electors yesterday. That means electors who went saying they were going to vote for, say Biden and then vote for Trump. They're called faithless electors. None of them, there was no one who did that yesterday in the electoral vote. President Trump is vigorously challenging the results, and he should. And I know it looks like it's self-serving because he's doing it and he stands to win or lose any outcome that be favorable toward him. But I believe he's looking beyond that as well. He loves this country. I'm convinced of that. He is formally continuing to challenge Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Nevada. He believes each of those states were flipped from him to Biden by corruption. I agree. During the past month since the election, Biden has not had full access to the government. Now he will have. He'll be briefed. He'll know what China's doing. He probably already knows what China's doing. I mean, they write checks to his son. So I'm anyway. The next step that will happen will be January 6, when the new Congress will hear from the Electoral College and certify its votes. There's a likely challenge coming on January 6th, and I'll be, well, I'll keep you updated on that. But here's the deal a very close Trump ally politically, and and maybe they're personal friends from the past, I don't know, but Representative Mo Brooks, he's a Republican from Alabama. He is going to formally challenge the electoral vote on the floor when Congress reconvenes on January 6. He is trying to get two other people because the Constitution says he has to have a couple of people to really give it teeth to make it work. I won't read all the wording from the Constitution, but that's what it says. There are at least two people are already saying they're going to stand. Rand Paul is one of them. And uh, there's another one that just overnight said, yes, they think they'll join him in this. And then, of course, there's Mo, Mo, Mo Brooks. I think it was Senator Ron Johnson. I'm pretty sure it was Johnson. But anyway, I know it was Rand Paul. So those two, and there may be more that are going, and that will give it a lot more weight when he makes his formal his formal um, objection. And that will happen on January 6th, according to the guys that are going to be doing it. They say it's going to happen. Last night, Mo Brooks was interviewed by Lou Dobbs on Fox Business Channel. And he told him, among other things, Mo Brooks, He's a real gentleman. I mean, he doesn't come off like he's angry. He's just a gentleman, but he's very determined. He said, I can be a part of this. He told Lou Dobbs this last night. He said, I can be a part of the surrender caucus, or I can fight for my country. And that's pretty much what this comes down to. President-elect, I reluctantly call him that now, but he is that at the moment. Joe Biden delivered an angry, a partisan speech last night after the electoral vote was in. He was the winner of the 2020 election, according to the Electoral College. He did not just acknowledge victory. He taunted his defeated opponent, President Donald Trump. Rather than celebrate the result and reach out to Trump and his supporters, Biden coughing up phlegm through his speech. It was a little and uh, no, I, I I don't have anything against him personally. I don't know him. I've never met him. I've met some of these people that are in the news. I've never met him. But I've sure followed him for a long time. Long time. Because he's been, uh, all he's ever done is just government, you know, public servant, quote unquote. So it was, a, it was kind of annoying, a little bit difficult. He kept coughing up phlegm all through his speech. I don't know what that means. He later told somebody, I think. He said something to the effect of, well, I must be getting a little cold or something. But anyway, he went through this speech, and um, I got the feeling he was really attempting to rub salt in the wound. He was continuing to argue the case that he has supposedly won. He got the electoral vote that he wanted, but he seemed annoyed that Trump was contesting the results. But he doesn't have a right to be offended. Biden was one of the Obama administration officials who unmasked Michael Flynn as part of an effort to undermine the incoming administration in 2016. On the campaign trail in 2019, just last year, when he was in the primaries, Biden agreed eagerly. It's on tape with a voter who called Trump an illegitimate president. He called Trump a Nazi sympathizer comparing him to Joseph Goebbels, who was the guy that he was Adolf Hitler's right-hand man, and to Adolf Hitler. Biden's never apologized or said, well, I shouldn't have said that or anything like that. But in his speech, Biden declared the election was free and fair. But 87% of Republicans disagree. Some polls show more than that. But on average, 87% of Republicans, they don't think it was fair. He expects Americans to overlook a year of political violence almost entirely by the left, unprecedented censorship by the mainstream media and big tech, Mark Zuckerberg and all those guys. He thinks that the, the conservatives should just overlook all that and most of all overlook a shift to vote by mail that w- Oprah was out there, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, everybody was on the far left was pushing Mail by, you know, vote by mail, vote by mail. Well, it, it just set up a, a, a situation that was ripe for corruption, and everybody knows that. Biden defended the election officials. He said political pressure, verbal abuse, and threats of physical violence against the officials who oversaw one of the most corrupt elections, in my opinion, in our history. But most notably, Joe Biden has yet to denounce the violence carried out against Trump supporters since the election. Every time, every time people are together, you hear about somebody, if they are wearing a Trump hat or whatever, they're beat up on. I mentioned yesterday, this kid was in Washington, D.C. at this rally Saturday night. And he, he, he was obviously a Trump supporter. And he said out loud on the sidewalk in Washington, D.C., Jesus Christ is coming soon. And they beat up on him. Why are we? How did we get here? I'll tell you. I'll tell you how we got here. Within days of the far-left progressive mayor Wheeler's promise of no autonomous zone like Seattle... Portland had an autonomous zone, exactly like Seattle's. And like Seattle's zone, Portland also got national news coverage yesterday by conservative news sources, ignored, of course, by the mainstream media. The Portland police chief reported that the zone covered about three square blocks. Those within the zone had a stockpile of weapons. They didn't know how many. They still don't know how many. They were organized. In fact, leadership was flown into the city of Portland to oversee this spontaneously created zone. It's exactly like Seattle last summer. Threats from both the mayor and the police were ignored. Finally, this past weekend, there was some kind of a deal struck between the Portland police and the zone people, the autonomous citizens. They pulled this massive amount of, of barricades out of the street so people could drive through the area. But the zone continues the autonomous zone. This weekend, the Seattle Times wrote an extensive article seeking to sort out what departing Mayor Jenny Durkin's one-term legacy will look like. Even with generous applications of political makeup by the Times, Durkin, she'll probably not be remembered as a shining example of leadership because she isn't. Three years ago, Durkin came into office following the failed tenure of homosexual activist progressive Mayor Ed Murray. He exited early because of the numerous allegations of young men claiming they were sexually assaulted by him. There were so many, and they were so credible that he finally resigned. Durkin, when she came in, she promised change. She said, do I think it will happen overnight? Absolutely not. But I know one thing for certainty, that if you keep doing the same thing, you can't expect different results. Well, That could be true. By 2019, Durkin's promise to fix the homelessness problem was so badly broken, and it was so bad in Seattle, Seattle had never felt so abandoned by leadership. In fact, Eric Johnson, who has been on Como for years, well-respected TV analyst, announcer, and news guy, TV 4 he wrote and produced an hour-long documentary titled, Seattle is Dying. This is the mainstream media in Seattle. Now as we approach the end of 2020, well over 100 police officers, and growing the number, have left the force saying, I've had it, I'm out of here. Defund the police, call them when you have a problem, if we don't show up in time, you're mad at, I mean, they said, well, I'm not going to live like this. <clears throat> so they're gone. But why does secular progressivism always fail? It always fails. If you look back at history and that's why the secular progressive is always trying to rewrite or revise history. They are just obsessed with deleting, canceling, we the new phrase has emerged this last year, cancel culture. If you don't like something, cancel it. It didn't it never existed. That's the progressive way. That is the progressive mindset. It is so anti-god and anti-truth that I don't know how a Christian can even contemplate being a progressive, and yet there is that movement within the Christian community of the religious left, the progressive Christian. And they flout it. Some of the names are well-known, and well-meaning Christians follow them. They buy their books. They listen to their music. You shouldn't do that. Rob Bell, others, Beth Moore, and others are misleading Christians all over the place, while well, they claim to be a progressive Christian, there is no such thing as a progressive Christian if you adhere to the progressive doctrine and philosophy and ideology. It can't happen. The French Revolution began under the banner of liberty, equality, and fraternity. Now, don't turn me off. I'm not going to get take a deep dive into history. here. I'd like to, but I'm not. But let me just touch on history. Parallel. French and American the colonies, and the old French government, country, France. Let me just touch on that for a moment. The Bastille, they started out under the banner. This is what they were saying, and where history hasn't been revised, you can find this all over the place. Liberty, equality, and fraternity. Inclusion, togetherness, community. But they ended up not only attacking the dreaded Bastille prison in Paris, but attacking the most important historic institutions in France. What the revolution turned into was not a a march for freedom, but an attack on the institutions. They attacked the monarchy, the aristocracy, and there was class warfare involved, just like the progressives try to create all the time here in America, still to this day and they attack the Christian religion. Historian Edmund Burke, and he's often quoted, but he warned the people in his reflections on the revolution in France. He warned of dangers of revolutions that despise everything that came before them. He said, and he's not often quoted, but he said this, people will, uh, he's not often quoted on this particular, he's often quoted, But but this is not often quoted. People will not look forward to posterity who never look backward to their ancestors. The rest, as they say, is history. Within a decade after executing their hated monarch and after years of political instability, social chaos, aggressive use of the guillotine, the freedom-loving French revolutionaries installed an emperor. Napoleon Bonaparte became dictator for life. Bonaparte, as we all know, would plunge continental Europe into war. Near the heart of our cultural crisis today is a failure to grasp the difference between the French Revolution and the American Revolution. The difference between 1776 and 1789 is that the revolutionaries in Paris took a wrecking ball to all of the institutions and the traditions that had shaped France for centuries. Everything was destroyed, including their religion. Maximilian Robespierre, he said, "We must smother the internal." <clears throat> excuse me, my name is Joe. By- no, <laughs> he said, "We must smother the internal and external enemies of the republic." The men who signed the Declaration of Independence, the 1776, by contrast, they didn't share this rage against inherited authorities. Generally. They were upset at the king, for sure, but not the institution of leadership. A biblical model of authority and leadership was their goal. So they rejected the king, who was corrupt, but they did not reject the idea, which is the biblical model of leadership and authority. Although the Americans, in the words of James Madison, did not suffer from what he said, quote, blind veneration for antiquity. He said, we're not blind, and we're just following antiquity. But he said, neither do we reject the political and cultural inheritance of Great Britain and the Western tradition. In other words, they brought with them the good of the of the culture that they were fleeing from, that they were leaving. Our founding fathers understood one thing that French the French failed to understand. Much like so-called progressive... Democrat leadership, they fail to understand that today as well. Our founders understood that the political liberty demanded the restraints of civic virtue and biblical Christianity. And I got to tell you, that's a part of why I do what I do on this program. We can't find liberty. We can't find freedom. History proves that outside of the context of our embracing the Christian The Judeo-Christian values. We can't. I know I sound like a preacher. But it's true. We can't. Because there is no freedom, there is no liberty outside of God himself. And until we come as a culture to where we started, and we admit and embrace, we don't have to be Christians. You can be a Muslim. But don't fight against what has given you the freedom to be the Muslim in America. And that's where we are today. Remember Ben Franklin when he stepped out of the hall where the founders were writing the Constitution? A citizen stepped up. Some many stories say it was a woman. Doesn't matter. It was a citizen. She said, what kind of government have you given us, Mr. Franklin? His answer, a republic, if you can keep it. Republic, our form of government has to be fought for, it has to be nurtured, it has to be protected, it has to be brought forward generation to generation. In his farewell address, George Washington made a veiled reference to France when he said, whatever may be conceded to the influence or refined education, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. Others, John Witherspoon, others of our founders affirmed this truth. I will tell you, that's where we are. It isn't political, it's a spiritual battle. Biden and Harris could claim to deeply hold the Christian faith, and they do claim that, but it's a hollow testimony of faith if they don't embrace the principles upon which this nation was founded. I have more to say. I'm out of time. I'll see you right here tomorrow.